Okay, hey everyone, and welcome to tonight. This is April the 18th, 2021, and another little run here of your questions, God's questions, hoping you can hear me and see me, and uh, that you'll share this broadcast, whoever's on, that you will hit that share button, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook, that's how we reach people online and the purpose of our church is to reach the one who's far from God so that together we would become passionate followers of Jesus that's why we exist and so uh, we try and do these questions um, on a weekly basis as they come in and um, try and answer them Uh, my name is Joe Friedland I am a pastor and Pastor uh, City Point Church in Brossard. And uh, the music that you heard uh, before is from our service yesterday. And we were meeting at Zistrant uh, in Cineplex and uh, had a wonderful time there. And uh, the question uh, came up uh, in our message because we're doing a series on the book of Hebrews. And chapter 2 mentions the subject of death. And so I thought it would be very helpful to try and answer the question, what happens when you die? What happens when you die? That's the question for tonight. Uh, If you've got other ones that you want me to handle on the fly, I would be happy to do that. Usually a very shy audience, uh, but I do see that Joelle is here. So bless you, Joelle, and thank you for tuning in, being faithful, and uh, hopefully some other people jump on the call here, uh, as I call it, the call tonight. But regardless, you can always share this later on. This will be posted on our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our website at City Point Church. .ca. Go to Connect and Sermons, and you will also see it there in a whole library of stuff that you can watch, all right? Um, so this subject tonight, again, that we're dealing with, it's a heavy one. What happens when you die? What happens when you die? So I wonder, uh, whoever is on right now, if you could tell me what you have heard uh, and what you may believe about what happens when you die. There's all kinds of views that people have, and I've heard many different ones, but why don't you go ahead and use the comment section and uh, tell me what you think. Do people become angels when they die? Do people just die and that's it, and there's nothing afterward at all? Everything is over. There's no soul. There's no afterlife, no nothing. Uh, do people sleep when they die? As in, maybe there is a soul, but it goes to sleep for some future judgment or something like that. Uh, what are the views out there? Okay, um, I have heard many of them, but I'd like you to see if you can think of some and uh, plop them in the comments section and we'll, <coughs> we'll take a look at them. Uh, but there's a, a passage out of the book of Hebrews that we read uh, yesterday that talks about how Jesus frees us from the fear of death. And um, that's very interesting to say that the author of Hebrews says this to his his uh, hearers, the people who are going to read his letter. 
And uh, one would wonder what would make them so confident that they would not be afraid of dying if they have faith in Jesus. So uh, I want to put a few passages of Scripture on the screen for you to help you uh, see some of this here. Let's try. And that should have worked. Let's go. Yeah, there we go. You've got some verses on the screen there. Uh, that should help you. And um, these are very key passages on the subject of death, in particular, as we see in the New Testament. Look into the Old Testament. We look at the subject of death. And there's some things there, but it's very, very foggy. It's very... Um, scant amount of information and it's difficult to build a kind of theology or kind of doctrine that's final uh, when you read the Old Testament. There's not a lot of information in there about the subject of death. There's some, but it's fully unpacked and fully revealed for us uh, in the preaching of Jesus, in uh, the preaching of Paul, Peter, John, things that happen in the book of Acts, uh, but basically our our uh, main source of information about the subject is Jesus himself, and he spends a great deal uh, of time talking about death, um, but I'm just putting some passages on the screen that are not even from Jesus. These are from uh, some of the apostles and an experience that we see in the book of Acts, so I want to try and dispel some of the confusion around the subject of death in this little broadcast here. Uh, even within the church, there are varying views, and they they certainly can't all be right. Uh, there's a view in the church that the soul just sleeps <clears throat> for perhaps a later time, uh, and uh, the body goes into the ground and the soul sleeps. That's one view that's that's in the church. There are people who, again, they think that when you die, you become an angel. Uh, the amount of funerals that I've done where that was the belief that people had uh, is, is really quite, um, it's pervasive, that view and that belief. Um, there are beliefs of annihilationism, that just everything is over when you die. Uh, that floats around even in the mind of, of Christians. So I want to try and dispel some of the false views and some of the confusion around this. Uh, so just going through a few passages of Scripture really tonight. And um, first one is from Second Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 5 to 10 here. And this is Paul, he's writing to the church in Corinth, uh, talking about this subject. This is often read at funerals. So he, he says this, While we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, he says. Now, Paul was a tent maker, and so it's interesting he pulls out this image of a tent because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So for him, this idea of being unclothed and clothed, he likens this to, to uh, death. This is an image. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
Now, it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So God has made us, made us for what purpose? Well, that purpose of being with him. So right now we are in this tent and we are groaning and we are burdened um, because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed with a different clothing or our heavenly dwelling, he says. And therefore, we are always confident. And note, it's we, it's not just applying to Paul. And we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. I'll say it again slowly. At home in the body and away from the Lord. You say, well, wait a second. I thought the Lord's always with us. Well, yes, he is. But here he's talking about being in that literal presence of the Lord. And so somehow while we are in the body, he says, we are away from the Lord. And we live by faith and not by sight. So we don't see the Lord, but we live by faith in him. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's a bema seat of Christ. On Wednesday nights, we're doing a uh, video Bible study uh, called That the World May Know. And uh, we're actually uh, looking into some of the churches that are in the book of Revelation starting this week. But um, in many of the cities that we see in that video studies, they have a bema seat in the sort of the center of town where the judge was. And this is, uh, this is the image here. We must all appear before the Bema seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due him for the things while done, well, uh, done while in the body, whether good or bad. So note what he's doing here. Y- there's two homes, and there's the possibility of being in one or the other. And this idea of being away from the body and at home with the Lord or at home and away from the Lord. So we're we're here in uh, this home of the body temporarily and we are away from the Lord temporarily. We would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So it's really clear in this passage that Paul believes that the immaterial part of us, uh, we can use the word soul or spirit, the, the Bible uses both interchangeably, the immaterial part of man separates from the body. Now, most of the time in the Bible, Uh, When we talk about the soul, we talk about the person. We often talk about the whole person when we talk about the soul. It, it, It comprises the whole person often in the scripture. But at death, we see a distinction made. 
away from the body at home with the Lord or at home in the body and away from the Lord. So it's clear Paul believes there will be a separation from the body at death, much like a tent, and a tent that has been vacated and emptied. Uh, I, I'm encouraging our church to watch the Chosen video series, a streamed um, series about the life of Jesus. There are a lot of tents in there, and uh, you see a lot of tents in it, and they try to make it realistic, and just picture a tent that's been vacated. This is what Paul is trying to talk about here in 2 Corinthians 5. It's it's really something uh, to to see. And he gets a little more personal in the book of Philippians here, chapter 1. And you can follow along uh, with me. I don't see any comments coming in, so you must be learning something. But please, please give me some comments. What have you heard about death? I see there's two people on. So give me some comments. What have you heard? What do you believe about death? Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. This is Paul again. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Why would it be gain? If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Note this idea of living in the body or living outside the body. Again, this distinction between the material part of man, the body, and the immaterial part of man, the soul or the spirit. Um, yet, sh- what shall I choose? I do not know. This is a letter written from prison. And Paul might be thinking of his, his impending death at this point. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So once again, he talks about this idea of leaving the body behind and being with Christ. This is the moment of death for the believer. Peter talks about the same thing. Uh, Second Peter, I'll flip over there in my... In my old paper Bible here, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. Look how he says it, very similar. Uh, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is now a right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, where is he going? You will always be able to remember these things. These two men had a hope that they would one day leave their bodies behind and go to be with Christ. Why would they have such a hope? Because they believe that they would be in the conscious, alive presence of Jesus when they died. So, there's nothing in here that shows that they were ambiguous, 
that they were foggy. They had a very, very clear belief that they'll put the body aside and go to be with Christ one day. Uh, and they're very convinced of this. Uh, we can see something from a Jesus. This is actually Jesus on the cross uh, that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 24. It is a staggering uh, little piece of scripture here. And he's got to be very uh, succinct with his words because of, the, of his impending physical death here. And so every word is important here. Uh, it's not Luke 24, 36. That's the wrong uh, passage. It's Luke 23, 46, I think. Yes. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, Luke 23, uh, uh, 23, verse 40. I'll start there. Okay, got my little verses wrong. So Luke chapter 23, verse 40. Jesus is being crucified and his couple of criminals being crucified along with him, common practice in the day. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him and he said, Don't you fear God? Since we are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And so he turns to Jesus while he's being crucified. And while Jesus is being crucified. And look what he says to him. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So the man believes that Jesus is a king. And somehow that Jesus is going to be alive after this death on the cross there's a future lordship a future kingdom for jesus according to this person so this person believed that jesus would somehow come back from the dead and have a kingdom it's pretty interesting that he believed that and jesus answers him and he's going to pick his words very carefully i tell you the truth. This is a saying that Jesus would use often. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Oh boy, uh, this is quite a statement, all right? Now, uh, I have talked to uh, people of differing views on death, and some of them say what Jesus meant was, I tell you the truth today. You will be with me in paradise. In other words, you know, I'm telling you something today that one day you'll be with me in paradise. Well, this is really an unreasonable way to understand it because Jesus is being crucified, having trouble breathing uh, and trying to stay alive. He's going to pick his words very carefully. I tell you the truth today. He wanted it known to this man to give him hope that you don't have to wait for a kingdom later on. I tell you the truth today. You think I'm coming into a kingdom later. You want me to remember you later. I'm remembering you today. You will be with me in paradise. So the man would leave his, his body behind and be with the Lord in quote-unquote paradise 
that very day, instantaneously, without delay, without the sleep of the soul, he would be with Jesus. Fascinating. We see this in Acts chapter 7. Again, this is the, uh, the death of Stephen. And I'm just giving you a few examples. I mean, we could do a whole series on this. I have done uh, taught series on the subject of death over the years. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verses, um, uh, well, let's say from verse 56, Stephen is about to be stoned. He's about to die. He is being stoned by uh, a, a group of people under the leadership of uh, the the Apostle Paul before his transformation, before his conversion. And um, so we see Stephen uh, is uh, right in the, caught in the, in the midst of this. And he says this, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This would have enraged the crowd. This is an aside, but this would have enraged the crowd because they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And here, not only is he with God, according to Stephen, he's standing. What's he standing for? Well, apparently waiting for Stephen as they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their lungs. They all rushed at him. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes. They would take off their, their a certain layer of clothing when they would do a stoning. At the feet of a young man named Saul, that's Saul of Tarsus, going by his Hebrew pronunciation of his name. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Watch, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The man clearly believes in a distinction between his spirit, that's the immaterial part of him, and his body. He clearly believes this, just like Peter believed it, just like Paul believed it, Stephen believes it, and this is exactly what Jesus said on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. uh, Stephen says the same thing. And he even says, Lord Jesus, uh, receive my spirit. Do not hold this sin against him. Jesus, when he was being crucified, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Very similar. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So the body sleeps. The spirit goes to the immediate conscious and alive presence of God. This is what we see over and over and over again. Now, it brings up several more questions, right? So, people say, well, what happens uh, uh, to an unbeliever? Uh, what happens to a person who I- has rejected uh, Christ and has refused uh, the message of salvation? Uh, what happens? And we see several things in the scripture there as well. I didn't put them on the screen. Uh, But what we see is indeed a separation. Uh, The person separates from the body and the person goes into a place of torment. We see this from Luke chapter 16. 
the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, that place has a, a Greek uh, name, uh, the name that's used a lot of times in the New Testament, or m- most of the time for it, is the word Hades. Uh, and this is seems to be a, a place of punishment for the unredeemed and for the unsaved. We see this again. Luke chapter 16 is an example. And then we also see in the, uh, the New Testament another word, and that word is Gehenna. This was one of Jesus' most used words when speaking of death. In fact, uh, when it comes to the subject of hell, the person who talked about it the most was Jesus. Uh, you know, we often say that you know God is a, 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 this mean, judgmental, angry God in the Old Testament, and we like Jesus because Jesus is so nice and kind and loving. Well, Jesus is also just because he spent a lot of time talking about hell. He uses the word Gehenna to uh, describe it. I see a question coming in. I'll get to it in a second, uh, Joelle. Uh, good. I want to hear get some more questions here, and I'll, I'll carry on a little bit here. We'll pass our 7.30 time because I've got five people on the, on the call here. So talk to me. Talk to me. Um, so uh, what we see is uh, a place of torment, and then we see this place, Gehenna. And Gehenna seems to be different than Hades. Uh, we see this in the book of Revelation, that those who were in Hades are then put into, cast into this lake of fire, which seems to be the Gehenna that Jesus was talking about. Gehenna is a place uh, outside of Jerusalem. It it was a garbage dump uh, that was always on fire. And Jesus seems to use this image for hell. And so uh, regardless, if a person is a Christian or, uh, or not, there is a separation from the body. The, uh, the Christ follower goes into the immediate conscious presence of God. The person who is not goes into this place of torment. Ultimately, there will be an eternal state. So in both cases, the person going to heaven, I'll put that word in quotes, or the person going into torment, those are intermediate. And we use this term in theology, the intermediate state. The eternal state is what happens at the end when there is resurrection uh, of both the saved and the unsaved. There's, there will be a physical resurrection. And those who are followers of Jesus will uh, remain with him for eternity in a, in a glorified physically transformed resurrected body and the unsaved those who have rejected christ uh, will also have a resurrection and they will experience eternal separation from god in this place uh gehenna it's the imagery is very strong uh in the bible and very intimidating and very frightening but uh when it comes to the subject of hell we're talking about people who have intentionally rejected uh, the message of salvation. And uh, so it is very heavy stuff, but this is what we do see in the Scripture. Now, a couple of questions here. I'll pop them on. Uh, so when we go to heaven, Joel asks, do we see God? Uh, 
or we rest in heaven because we will not have a body, but the Spirit goes up to heaven. So how will we see God in Jesus? Um, well, this is a very good question. It seems to be that these people who we've just seen the examples in the scriptures that we've read, they believe that they would consciously be in the presence of God, even without a physical body. Do they have some sort of immaterial body as a soul? We don't see a lot of information in the scripture, but it's clear that they had the view that they would consciously and alive be with with the Lord. Even in uh, Luke chapter 16, Lazarus is alive, and, uh, speaking from the other side, as it were. Uh, so he's conscious, he's alive, he has his memories intact, and we see this in, um, that's before Jesus' death and resurrection in Luke chapter 16. So, and the rich man is alive as well. One, he's in a place of torment, and Lazarus is at this place uh, of paradise, or Abraham's bosom, as it was called. So, um, whether or not there is a sort of spiritual body that can be seen, we're not sure, but clearly, the belief of all of these people who we've mentioned is that they would be in the presence of the Lord, they would see him and experience him. We do see some things in the book of Revelation where uh, the writer says, I saw the souls of those who had been slain. So to see this soul, there must be some type of thing to be seen. Uh, What is it? What type of body is it? We're not sure. We don't have a lot of information. But it's the idea of being able to experience the Lord, be in his presence, alive, conscious, with your memories intact, and so on, with emotion, with all of it. Uh, And this is in the afterlife, and this is immediate, uh, both for the Christian and the person who has rejected Christ. Uh, So death is not the end. Death is a separation. It is a change where we leave our bodies, as it were. That's the best way I can explain it. Uh, I think another question, uh, do we see all the people who died and do we see the angels as well? Uh, Well, that's a good question Uh, also, uh, Joely, and a lot of people ask it. Uh, We do see some things in uh, 1 Thessalonians about this. This is, again, uh, from Paul who breaks this down. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. That means who physically die uh, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. I don't know if you've been to a funeral where people don't believe in the afterlife. There's there's a hopeless grief there. Uh, We have a hopeful grief, Paul says. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him will bring them from where? Where are they that he has to bring them? Well, presumably in his presence, right? Uh, According to the Lord's own will, we tell you, we who are still alive, uh, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call 
of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is a physical resurrection of the dead that's being spoken here, regardless of whether or not one believes in the so-called rapture. Uh, This is the passage that is used to justify the doctrine of the rapture. Some people believe in it, some people don't. I do believe in the rapture. Um, But regardless of if you do or you don't, this is talking about a physical uh, resurrection. All agree on this. Um, uh, 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 We after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with them in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So his hope there is is that there will certainly be a reunion after death of those who have died in Christ. Now, does that reunion take place immediately, uh, even before the resurrection that's spoken of here and that's spoken of in the book of Revelation? In other words, if if you you have a loved one who passed away, and then when your time comes, are you going to see them immediately? I think we have enough in the scripture to say yes. Uh, for example, uh, at, the, at the transfiguration, uh, who do we see on the mountain with uh, uh, Jesus? We see the two men who have died, right? And yet they're there with Jesus, speaking with him on the mountain. Uh, Moses and uh Moses and Elijah, right? Let's let's go check. I want to get my Elijah or Elisha right here, but let me flip back to it. Uh, we're having fun here on on Monday night um, with this heavy subject, but I'm still seeing five of you on, so I'm going to keep going uh, tonight. So, yeah, Matthew chapter uh, 17, you've got Moses and Elijah. Well, how's that? How's that work? Well, you say, well, Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind, so maybe he didn't technically die. Well, Moses certainly did. And yet Moses is dialoguing with Jesus. Um, And the resurrection has not taken place. There's no indication that Moses' body has been physically raised from the dead. And yet there he is talking with Jesus temporarily on that mountain of transfiguration. Hmm. So uh, who else is there? And are they seeing each other? I, I think... Uh, the we have enough information to say yes even pre-physical resurrection i think that people recognize people in heaven even in the so-called intermediate state uh which would be now when we pass away we uh, enter into the presence of god consciously when i say eternal state that's after the resurrection of the body okay I'll put another one up here because Joelle is Joelle is being bold here. In the Bible, it says a verse I forgot where it says how God looks like. It says God is a spirit, doesn't have a body, so that means we will look like Him. In my opinion, um, well, I, I I don't know if I would go that far as to say that, uh, but I think that um, we will we will see Him, we will comprehend Him in a better way for sure. Um, on the other side of the curtain, as I like to, to term it, it's different. There's no sin there. Um, there's no evil there. Uh, the book of Revelation talks about uh, in the eternal state, there will be no death. 
um, or sorrow, and the old order of things has passed away, and a new order has come. Uh, uh, it will be completely different. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that we will be like God in, in in nature, in our nature. I don't think we can say that. Um, but I do think that we will be able to see him, understand him, comprehend him uh, in a greater way. So it is a it is a complex subject when you look at it in the scripture. Um, and it's got a lot of detail, a lot of technicality to it. But what you do is you read the scripture and you build information and you build understanding. On this subject, you don't rip or any subject, you don't rip a passage out of context to try and build an idea. You've got to read the whole thing and come to a conclusion. Okay, what does the Bible really teach? Because if you read just the Old Testament, you want to understand death. You're not going to get a whole lot of clarity. You read the full Bible and you 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 do a survey of this subject ah then you're going to get much greater clarity there's still a lot we don't know uh but what we do know we get from the pages of scripture and um we can go that far uh there's you know we can't speculate further than that so we have a great hope this is why the author of hebrews says that jesus takes away the fear of death because we know when we step to the other side the lord is waiting for us it's today you will be with me in paradise not you know well you'll die and then you know maybe in a thousand years you'll get to be in the presence of god no you'll get to be in the presence of god immediately to be with him and to worship him and to experience him and this is an immediate, conscious, alive thing. This is the hope that the believer has. This is why these people in the New Testament were willing to face death and persecution. Because they believe, just as Paul did, just as Peter did, just as Stephen did, uh, just as Jesus did, for that matter, you could say it that way, that immediately they would be in the, the, the Lord's presence, in the Father's presence, at least in the case of Jesus. They would be with God without delay and without waiting. Uh, so for them, while they're being stoned, while they're being crucified, while they're being persecuted, while they're being fed to lions in the arenas in the early church, you know, first, second even third centuries, I mean, these people endured horrific things for Jesus because they knew they would be with him and they were willing to even give their lives. They would not recant. They would not worship the emperor. They would not worship any other God. And they kept serving the Lord even until the end. And this is why we have the New Testament and why the New Testament exploded in terms of being circulated across the Roman Empire right up to us, to our day. This is why, because these people believe this. And why did they believe it? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, they were convinced 
it was real. Are we as convinced as them? Would we be willing to give up our very lives for Jesus? Do we really believe there is something waiting, someone waiting for us, standing at the right hand of God, ready to welcome his saints? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe in hell today? Is there an urgency in our spirit to share the message of Jesus to people who don't know him? Uh, These are deep, deep questions that we have to uh, wrestle with uh, over and over again. And um, while in a pandemic, it certainly makes it more, more real because we see people who have lost their lives uh, due to this this virus all over the world. And it makes us think about the subject of life and death. So uh, that's that's it for tonight. Thank you for hanging in. Uh, those are just a sampling of, of scriptures that I have for you on the subject. Maybe one day I'll do a whole series um, on the subject of death. There is a book... Uh, that I would recommend to you if you like to read. I'm going to put it on the comments here. I think it's called One Minute After You Die uh, by Erwin Lutzer. Erwin Lutzer. I believe that's it. Uh, Excellent book if you like to read. I'm going to post it. Um... Yeah, I'll post it there. One minute after you die by Erwin Lutzer. A uh, question that uh, I would I would also answer here because you're hanging in tonight. Um, what about uh, uh, babies? What about children? We've had uh, an instance happen in our own our own church uh, where a, a mom preparing to deliver her her son uh, lost her baby right in the last few days. Just awful, awful situation. Well. Uh, I think we have enough information in the scripture to say that that baby is with the Lord. And that gives me great comfort and hope. Uh, there seems to be uh, in the scripture this concept that infants, uh, those who have not come to a place of of uh, understanding, comprehending the, the gospel message, uh, that they... Uh, when they pass away, go into the presence of God. Uh, we seem to have enough information to go on uh, to 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 see this. Uh, the most famous example is David's uh, uh, child, who is actually taken by God. Uh, the child of the adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and God takes the child. Uh, as a as a uh, punishment to to King David, it's quite severe. Uh, but the child goes to be with God, and David recognizes this. He says, and he says, "Well, I can go to be with him, but he can't come to be with me." And it helps David in his grief. It helps him to kind of move on and pick the pieces of his life up. Uh, and and move on with his life because he, he believed that he would see that child somehow again. Uh, that's one example. And so I think that we have enough to be able to say 
young children, infants, and so on, uh, go immediately into the presence of of the Lord. And that gives us great comfort, again, as, as uh, the author of Hebrews wrote, uh, because of Jesus, we do not have to fear death because we are in him. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for each person who's on tonight watching six people. Um, and uh, I pray, Lord, you would bless each one. I pray you bless each home that's represented, each family. I pray for each mind to come to a conviction, each heart to come to a conviction about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, that we would not fear death, but, Lord, we would worship you whether we are in the body, so to speak, or away from it. We want to be worshipers of you. We pray to that end. Amen. Uh, I see another question. I will answer it because you're on. Valerie's asking, can you explain why God would raise why would God raise the dead first? I always wondered about that. Okay, I think you're I think you're back in um First Thessalonians, Valerie. Um why God would raise the dead first. Yeah. I think what you're doing is you're you're uh, you're wondering how to interpret this passage. So we believe that Jesus died and rose again. All all would agree on this, whether they believe in the rapture or they don't. Um, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So at some point in the future, the, Jesus will return, and he returns with those Christians who have died in him. Uh, that's the that's the phrase. Those who have fallen asleep in Him brings them back with Himself. Now, this appears to be talking about some kind of a resurrection. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, in other words, we who have not died yet, and who are left until the coming of the Lord. Again, whether we interpret this as a rapture or a second coming doesn't really matter at this point. We'll certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So something happens to those who have died in Christ first before it happens to those who are still alive when Jesus returns. He tries to unpack this for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I think this is what you're asking, Valerie. Um, so in other words, those who have died as believers, they will be physically resurrected first. And after that, those who are still alive and believe in Christ will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So there seems to be a priority in resurrection to the people who have who have already uh, passed away before those who, who are still alive. Now, this is interpreted as a rapture uh, in pre-tribulational, pre-millennial contexts like ours. And I would interpret this as a rapture, but whether whether people do or don't, 
uh, there's a resurrection that's taking place here, a physical resurrection. Who gets raised first? Those who have died first. Who gets raised second? Those who are still alive. Why? I don't know, <laughs> because that's the way God orders it. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm just glad that there's a resurrection. Okay, uh, so that's a great question. And uh, again, whether or not we say this is rapture, this is not rapture, uh, it is certainly speaking of resurrection, okay? Great. Thank you for tuning in and staying in. We've gone longer tonight, but it is a very, very deep subject, a very tough subject, but a very relevant subject. So uh, the Lord bless you all. Keep your questions coming. Let me know. Talk to me on a weekend. Send me an email. Send me a text message, whatever. And uh, we'll do it again next week on Monday night. Until then, God bless you. Have a great week, everyone, and stay safe.